Welcome to Road to Rings. I'm your host, Bartley, and on this limited series, Shallon and I are just going to go over some topics about deck building for the upcoming Con of the Rings convention, and then we're also going to reveal the decks we're going to be bringing to the con. We're just going to kind of talk about some stuff around the convention, and that's really all it's going to be. So yeah, let's just go ahead and jump right in. But before we start talking about some of our specific topics related to deck building a strategy for the convention, I want to go over kind of what stuff do we own? Because when we talk about this stuff, I kind of want people to get an idea of where we're coming from, you know, what type of collection we're building out of, because I know new players might not have everything and they might be like, you're suggesting all these ideas, like, you know, where are you coming from when you uh, make them? So. With that said, Shalad, why don't you just go ahead and tell us first, what is your collection look like? Yeah, absolutely. I think one quick thing before I get into that, maybe for 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 those of you out there that don't know what Con of the Rings is, I suppose. Um, I didn't even explain what it is. Super quickly. Um, so Con of the Rings is an upcoming convention specifically for the Lord of the Rings, the living card game. Uh, it's, it's happening in Minneapolis, uh, the the last weekend in September slash early October there. It's like the 30th of September through the 2nd of October, I believe are the official dates of it. Uh, so this will be, you know, a, a, a time where just players of our lovely game from all over the, the country and even a couple players from, you know, outside of the U.S., either Canada or I think even some European players are coming over to just get together, hang out with one another and and play this game for, for three days straight. It, it is the gist. How many of these have you been to, hardly? Two. Two, I think. I did go to the first one. I think this is the fourth one. Oh. Is that right? Yeah, and this will just be my second. Last year was my my first attempt there. So, so yeah, hopefully we see you there. If you if you are there, come say hey. Try to try to get a game in with, with both of us at some point, and I'm sure we'll be looking for players to carry our terrible decks that we're going to talk about to victory here, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And uh, I should say this. Can I get you to commit to this? Um, did you buy a Warriors Championship shirt? I did wear a war- buy a Warriors Championship shirt. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. How about on Friday? So the first day, I wore my Bucks shirt, and then you wear your Warriors one, so that way people can done and done. find us. And if the, the, the big if here is going to be that the Seattle Mariners are very much in playoff contention... I will absolutely be wearing a Mariners hat as well if that's still the case in one month's time. So, so you can't possibly miss us. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so that way hopefully people will be able to find us in case they haven't seen us if they're new. Right. Yep, exactly. Uh, in terms of what we own, I'll start here since I'm, I'm talking out loud already. Uh, I basically own all of the original run of the game. So I bought three of the original core sets that I can make sure that I had, you know, three copies of Brock Iron Fist to be able to build my decks with. And then I have one copy of everything else. So all of the APs, Deluxes, Saga, Expansions, Nightmares. I did not get the two-player limited edition starter set. Um, And I don't really have too many alt art cards as well. And then, as I'll be discussing probably later on in in here i also do own all of the along extended party you know custom community fan expansion content and we'll be bringing quite a bit of it to the con as well 
So for me, same with Shellen. I have three of the original core set. I have that two-player starter that he mentioned that came in the um, collector's edition thing with the uh, adventure card game, I think it's called, the digital game. I have a copy of the dwarf starter set. I have two copies of Drudan Forest uh, because when my dog was a puppy, I think I, I either had dropped one on the floor or I had them on the floor and she grabbed one and it got a little wrecked so my parents replaced it for me. Um, I have all of the Cycle Sako's deluxes, but I don't own any Nightmare stuff. Uh, for Alep, I'm going to have John prints it for us, so I'm going to have whatever he has for us ready. So I don't, I don't know what that's going to be yet. Uh, I have three extra copies of Elrond's Council and Elven Light because I won them in a eBay auction because I played out of Spirit, so I wanted more. I have an Alt Art Support uh, Leadership Spirit deck that, uh, that was from Joe slash Purple Wizard that I won in a prize last year. And then I have all of the alt art heroes except for Gimli. So yeah, if it seems like I have a lot of like a specific card, that's kind of where it's coming from. You know, I essentially have like four starters. So that's a lot of a lot of stuff there, Brad. Are you are you bringing all of that with you to the Con of the Rings? Are you packing, <laughs> up, uh, you know, your, your entire checked bag with your entire collection and, and lugging that to the con and your in Matt? Oh, you're driving, so you're gonna load up Matt's car with it, I suppose, in Iowa. And yeah, make him carry it the whole. Yeah, way. I could bring it all. I could bring it myself because I am driving. But no, in fact, just to jump right to our next topic here. How much extra stuff are we bringing? I'm just going to bring my decks. I'm going to bring a sideboard. And I'm going to bring one quest for sure. You know, maybe I might make you bring it. We'll talk about that at the end. <laughs> and I am not sure if I'm going to bring my quest cards or not. I've brought them in the past, the previous couple of years, and we've used them a couple of times. So TBD on whether I'm going to bring them or not. I'm not sure. It's a lot of stuff to end up bringing. And we'll get into it later. Uh, part of the thing about our philosophies of bring, you know, the um, advantages or disadvantages of bringing all your cards yep. and stuff like that. But I'm just not going to bring a whole bunch of stuff. It's just it's too much stuff to bring. Uh, it's not great analysis, but yeah, you know, it is a lot. I remember I made I think eight player card decks for the con last year. And I got to packing them up and I was like, okay, now I need to pack, you know, two full cycles worth of encounter cards and two standalone quests as well. Plus I wanted to bring some all up quests to play with folks. <laughs> and I got to the point where I, I absolutely had to start cutting things. Like I think I cut a player card deck. I intentionally didn't bring a couple of quests that I knew I didn't want to play and all these sorts of things. Cause it is just a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. And for those of us like myself that are flying out to Minneapolis, um, you know, space is limited in that little carry-on bag. Even though you don't need a whole lot to survive for three days in a hotel, the cards take up a lot of room for <laughs> that you could otherwise be using for the, the rest of your things that you might need for the con. Yeah, it has a lot of weight to, you know, uh, yeah. I started Tangent Time, I already got Story Time. But my one year... My friend, he is a Netrunner player, and he brought all of his cards from Netrunner to Gen Con, and he had them all in his bag. And when we checked out of the hotel, the um, clerk, she was like, uh, probably my height, she was probably like 5'4", 
like 100 pounds, and she had to haul this whole bag forward. And I picked it up, and I was like, my God, dude, there's like a freaking dead body in here. It was so heavy. Cards, they add up quickly. So for for myself on this one, um, I probably will bring my quests again. I did last year. I have some of those like Ultimate Guard Archives uh, deck boxes, which fit more than a full cycle uh, sleeved quite well. And I'm leaning towards bringing Nightmare for, for both cycles this year. I don't know how much of it I'm going to play. But I do know I like a couple of these quests in Nightmare Mode, so I, I probably will bring them. So I think an Archive will hold the full cycle plus their Nightmare decks quite well. Uh, and then I just need to, to find some storage solutions for my player card decks. But I used mine a ton last year. I lent out my encounter cards. Like Folks came up to me and asked if they could use them. So it's it's always one of those things they they say if you can and like have the room and all those sorts of things try just that way nobody runs out nobody's gonna run out but but I think I'll I'll try to bring my quests as well but similarly I will have a, a chunky little sideboard that we'll talk about later but just my decks and my quests yeah I mean I have two quivers but it's kind of a pain to bring two of them around and then it's like you're putting them in a backpack. And then it's just like, why is not everything just in a backpack? <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> that's that's my solution. That's my storage solution that I'm still really trying to figure out. Uh, I don't know if you saw me last year, but I had my two archives, and then I had like a flipping tray, and then a couple other small deck boxes, plus my like tubes for my mats, you know, and all these sorts of things too. And I just carried them in like a Trader Joe's reusable <laughs> grocery bag. That I packed. I didn't even have a backpack. I just had, you know, one of those like cloth grocery bags that I stuck everything in. So that that might be me again this year. It it worked well enough, even though I did look a little ridiculous walking in with my my you know mountain goat on a on a grocery bag. But we'll, we'll see. Yeah, that shows us who's been to Gen Con and who hasn't. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a rookie for sure. Because <laughs> I'm like everything goes in a backpack. Because I need like the two straps, you know. But we haven't uh, talked too much about how kind of the rings is set up. So everybody's in the same room and everybody plays in the same room. So it's it's not that big a deal. Just put everything down mm-hmm. in a spot and then just kind of leave it there. Uh, you don't have to like walk around like crazy to go all over the place. And like people are going to steal. You can, can you just leave it there. It's just like you're going from the parking lot to the room. It's like, you know, a two minute walk at most. And you have enough stuff because you're bringing, like we talked about, a decent amount of cards that you're not going to forget it. You know what I mean? Like if you're playing, you know, I brought one deck to play one game with my friend at another con. Like I could see leaving that somewhere, but like I'm not going to leave four gigantic boxes of cards somewhere on accident. Right. The only thing someone's going to forget is their cardigan (laughs) when they go out somewhere and then get cold and then be like, where's my cardigan? What happened? I left it at the center. But I don't know who would do that, but that might happen to somebody. But, uh, okay, before we kind of move on to some of our more in-depth con-specifics stuff, let's talk a little bit about our deck philosophies here so people can kind of get a good look into our minds and how we're kind of thinking about our cards here and why we're going to make certain suggestions about cards as opposed to other things. So, for me, consistency is king. And I mean that in in your deck and in your player. So I've mentioned previously on stuff here 
uh, that I really kind of cut my teeth playing Netrunner competitive tournaments. So that's kind of how I often approach the cons a little bit. I kind of think about it a little bit like, Shellen, are you a big poker player or familiar with poker? Uh, I have dabbled a tiny bit. I'm terrible at it. So I would not consider myself a player, no. Okay, so I kind of had this duality way that I like to kind of look at things, which is like, uh, are you familiar with the concept of a home game versus a tournament? I mean, it's pretty obvious. So like a home game is just a game where you play with your buddies at home in your garage or whatever. A tournament is obviously where you go to play a tournament with a whole bunch of different people. So I kind of treat the cons like Mm -hmm. a tournament. And when I play, you know, with my friends or whatever, I kind of treat that more like a home game. And I used to do that a lot with my friend that I played with. So we used to just play decks that would just sometimes suck. But it was like, I live five minutes away, so and we can be sure that week. So it's not a big deal if our decks suck today. Yep. But I don't really like that when we go to a con. Because I've done that previously where I've brought some decks that I've not been as familiar with. And they stunk. And it, it sucks. And as I kind of mentioned, as I don't bring my whole collection. And if the deck stinks, it, it sucks. And I don't really like that. So when I go to a convention, I treat it. So when I kind of go to these conventions, I kind of treat it like I'm going to a tournament. So I like to uh, bring a deck that's very consistent that I'm very familiar with. So I don't typically tend to bring stuff that's new to me. Because usually it's like if you have a new deck, you know, you have to have played it a few times on a pilot. It, and if you don't know how to play it, you know, you might only get like one chance to play it at the con. And it's like I didn't really learn how to play the deck very well. So it's like that wasn't very useful and... But I, you know, I know when you play in a four-play game, it's not that big of a deal because people can pick up the slack. But personally, I don't like that. It kind of frustrates me. That's personally for me my number one philosophy for my deck building. And I think you'll see that when I we talk about our decks later. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get to our decks themselves. But I think you and I play this game quite differently in terms of like when we're playing it, what decks and quests we're playing. Um, I, I build decks that I maybe only play a couple times before I'm moving on to my next idea. You know, I'm always building new decks that, you know, sometimes they really work, sometimes they don't, and I'm off to the next thing. Uh, so when I was looking for con decks, you know, I've got a hundred and some odd decks that I've made in the last year and a half or whatever to, to be pulling from. Uh, but I, I'm not bringing any of these experimental, I've only played it, you know, I, I beat Escape from Umbar once and lost a Treachery of Ruidar once with it, uh, type decks to the con. These are all tried and true, I've played them in multiplayer games before, I've played them a ton, um, so I know they're not all, what, quote-unquote, power decks, like, they're not all gonna be great, but I know that if I sit down at a table... I'm not going to just be taking the group's chances by being there, which is really the only thing I care about. Uh, I, I would hate for to feel like, oh, I brought this just weird four combo piece deck that just never got off the ground because it needed to find a good harvest and steward of Gondor, and then and you played Mono Lure, yeah? Who would do that? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> so, so that's the hope here is you know I, I'm going with some of my most consistent decks that I've played quite a bit. Uh, and I know that they're going to be fun to play at the con. Yeah, I used to like to play that way where you'd play and build a lot of decks, but when I kind of stopped playing with my one friend because I moved away or it was getting difficult to 
play as much. We just started playing more of the same decks over and over again. And it was just easier because when you show up and play a new deck, it's fun, but sometimes the deck sucks and it's just not it's like, eh, whatever, you know? And it's it's hard too, especially because I play a lot of solo, so you can't even like play certain decks when you do that. Yeah, and then I think my only other kind of philosophy in terms of what when I was picking a couple decks off to start with is a little bit of showmanship, I suppose. You know, we all have kind of our pet decks, you know. If you look at Rings DB, the number of decks that have been published on there is heinous. Like, there's so many that it's tough to have a truly original idea. Like, somebody else has built a deck that was reasonably similar to yours, you know, before, just because there's enough people playing this game. But still, we all kind of have these pet decks that you're like, kind of champion this one. I came up with it myself. I didn't, I wasn't net decking. You know, I, I built this from the ground up and have tested it a lot and I really like it. And now I want other people to be able to see it in action. Uh, so there, there is definitely a bit of that for me as well, where it's like, you know, this deck has the chance to do some cool things and I hope I get to pull off the thing, the combo that I want to be able to do at the con with it just to yeah, show off a little bit. Yeah, definitely. We'll hear more about pet decks later from me, I'm sure. Definitely. Yeah, you're kind of mentioning knowledge of your decks and stuff like that. That's kind of one of my big things, too. You know, like the consistency of player. It's like, if you're in a bunch of different situations, I, I have a lot of experience in a lot of different situations, so I kind of knew, know what to do if things come up. Whereas like if you at the new deck, sometimes you encounter new stuff, and you're just kind of like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And you're making kind of suboptimal decisions or just focusing on luck. But I, I, I kind of prefer to have like an idea of what I should be doing. I think that might be helpful for players too. You know, I, that's why I like it. It seems like you like it that way. I know that's not uh, the way everybody plays. I know some people yep. like to just try to do stuff and, and that's the way they like to go. I love playing with people that do that. But I'm kind of with you. It's, it's, it's mostly like a, a my feelings sort of thing. Like, I'd, I'd happily sit down at a table with three other people that were bringing out, like, an experimental, like, can I try this deck? Like, yes, of course, that sounds great, but I'm not going to do that at the con, personally. Right, yeah, for me, personally, I, like I said, I've tried it before, and it just wasn't for me. Uh, for some people, that's what they like, and that's cool for them. Or, you know, we've mentioned some people bring their entire collection, so it's like, oh, my deck didn't work, but I have all my cards to fix it so it's not a big deal whereas me i don't have everything so i can't fix the problems in my bad decks uh one other thing i want to ask about before we go on to our next thing is do you proxy cards i don't um i i have built my decks in such a way that i don't need to proxy or move cards from one deck to another uh what i will do uh, and have done in the past is i do have a couple slips of paper that will be cut down to card size that will be able to slip in front of a card if I need to. But those are going to be much more like quest-specific things because we don't see the... Um, you, at the con, one of the big fun things that they do is they have an achievement list on the wall where they make you do weird things with the quest. You know what I mean? You've uh, some examples. You know, Maybe you start with more enemies in play or more locations in play than the quest tells you to, or you have to, you know make sure that the maybe Nalir has to defend and attack every round. Uh, all these kind of weird things that don't normally occur in play. 
that there's just no way my sideboard that I'm bringing to the con can prepare for. So I bring some slips of paper in, in, that I can sub in like, oh, wow, maybe we need Mariner's Compass to be able to beat this weird quest because there's an achievement to do some wonky location thing. Uh, and I can write on a piece of paper and make that a Mariner's Compass that I can slide into my leadership deck. So I will do that, but that that's very achievement specific, I think, for me. Wow, that's an idea I should have brought up to Mark and Aaron the one year. Uh, the one year they went to Con of the Rings and they tried to do an achievement at Con of the Rings and they didn't have any of the cards to complete the achievement. <laughs> it's in the it's in the vlog. I forget exactly which one it is, but I went over to them and they were telling me that like, oh, everybody else assumed somebody else would have the card to complete the achievement and then nobody had right. it. And and they they beat the quest, but nobody had the uh the stuff to beat it. But yeah, I'm not a proxy guy either. I'm uh, mm-hmm. not going to bring that many decks, so I don't really need to proxy that much because I'm not going to have that much overlap. And as I kind of mentioned in the beginning, I have so many copies of certain cards that some of the really common ones, it's like... Sure. I have them, you know, Elrond's Council and Evelight, that's why I got more of them. You know, I have like eight copies of Tesla Will, so it's not going to be an issue for me. So I just don't feel like I need to. With that said, let's go on to our next topic. We're going to now start getting to some nuts and bolts stuff here. About some kind of the rings advice type type of stuff and some common types of things that happen. So so what are some common pitfalls that run into at the con? I think the most obvious one that people have is uniqueness conflicts where everybody wants to run Tactics Aowen because she's like one of the three best heroes in the game. So so what do you do, Shellen? If you have uniqueness conflicts, I think the the primary way that I go about doing this personally is I have built almost all of my decks that I'm bringing to the con so that they do not rely on one of those very specific um, unique cards. So none of my decks have Steward of Gondor. None of my decks have Aowen. You know, I don't think I have hero arwen i don't think i have any of the elven rings uh you know there's just my decks are built such that i can probably get away with just a quick sideboard of maybe some unique ally in there if somebody else is running the hero version but that's my primary way about doing it which obviously isn't going to work for everybody because like you said a lot of these cards are very popular for a reason uh, but that's the easiest way to go about doing it. Maybe you don't have to do it with all of your decks, but but maybe think about building, you know, one that jumps out to me is like a Sylvan deck, like a Sylvan deck with any of your Sylvan kind of heroes these days. It needs Olorian, but it doesn't really need any other uniques to function. So bringing a deck that's kind of like that one, where worst case scenario you're the fourth person that sits down and you're looking around and some of your decks don't work because what other people are running, you have a deck that you can go out there that is going to be able to get into play in any situation. Yeah, my suggestions would be, I think these are probably the most common choices where you just play it out as is because it's like, you know, someone doesn't have a lot of cards. It's like, well, we both have... I have Spirit A when you have Tactics A and whatever, it's fine. They're, they're different enough. The R1 Bar1 thing that gets talked about a lot. It's like, whatever, yep. just play them. As Shelly kind of mentioned, another way is like sideboards. A lot of times, mm-hmm. it, there's like a hero where you're, you can kind of get with like, eh, it's kind of like not super critical of the deck. 
And I'm kind of specifically about Tactics A, well, that's why I'm bringing her up here. Because there are decks yep. where it's like, you can kind of get away with Mablong instead, or something like... There's some other Tactics Hero, where you can kind of sub in, and it's it's okay. Because yep. it's the deck isn't like maybe quite as good, but someone else is playing Tactics A1, so it's it's not a big deal. You're not really losing out that much. So that's one way. One thing I also think is if you just don't have a lot of um, cards or options... I would just tell people like, hey, I don't have a lot of cards. I just have to play what I've got, right? Because if you're a new player especially, because I know a lot of new players are coming, just be like, you know, you're going to be like, I only have the core set, Angmar, and the stars. Like, just tell people up front you don't have a lot of cards. So I would like to play this deck. No one's going to complain. People get it. Especially, you know, if you're a veteran player like Shellness mentioned, you should be able to figure out a deck that can work without all the hottest unique cards in it. And similarly, people are always going to be totally okay swapping things out at the con, too. Um, even if you do have a big collection, if you're me or Bard Lee and show up and, you know, it's already Saturday afternoon and I haven't gotten to play one of my decks that I've really wanted to play yet because of unique conflicts up to that point, just let your table know. You know what I mean? I 100% guarantee that the other people you're playing with are going to be like, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, play that one. I'll pull out this deck instead. Like. This community is great about that sort of thing for for we all just want to play the game together and it, it's just an extra puzzle kind of on top of it almost. If oh well I can't use that deck, maybe I can try to do this. It's kind of fun to to plan around. So yeah, just just speak up if you want to use a deck um that you haven't gotten to play yet. Right, because like last year I brought like four decks, I think, and I brought basically two decks with one game another. And I know Sean, there were times where like you were like, I just want to play a specific deck. So sometimes you get games where people just want to try stuff. So everybody's usually pretty cool with stuff. If you want to try something, it's not a big deal. And mm-hmm. it can work out too if Shellen is like, I have 10 decks and I have three. There really shouldn't be a lot of overlap because Shellen has so many options. And even though if I have few, it's, it's not yep. that big a deal. He should be able to figure out a, a deck to play. And I would recommend that for new players, just kind of being like, you know, it's like we're not playing stuff competitively. We're not playing like a tournament where it could be a problem, but it's not that big a deal at the con. Nobody's really going to care about stuff like that. So, Our next bullet point I'll get to is, I don't have enough copies of a card to fill up my deck. What are some ways that I can do that? So, Sean, can you give us some ideas or some options that people could do? Sure. So, I mean, the first one we already kind of touched on with you and I saying we're not going to proxy cards, but that's because we built our decks that way. Proxy cards all you want. You know what I mean? Like, you were saying this isn't a, a tournament legal sort of situation. If you've got a terrible stick figure on your card and you're telling me that that's a West Road Traveler, yeah, sure, great. You paid two spirit resources for it. It's a West Road Traveler, right? Um, so, so go ahead and do that. If if you're rocking just two copies of the old core set and need more unexpected courages to make your decks work, proxy them. Just just let folks know if you don't have the slip of paper. I always like to let people know before the game at the table, like, oh, hey, um, you know, these copies of my Gladra Minstrel are actually going to be Arwen in this game, since nobody's running the hero, and so they're ally Arwen. They're both two-cost spirit allies, so we'll remember that when I draw it. Uh, you, you don't even have to get as fancy as the stick figures on paper to make it work. Definitely. Another thing you could do is you could... Build decks that kind 
So I have, I'm not trying to explain this, but I have written down here, build decks that have cards that do similar things. So for example, if you need resource generation, you could use a card like King of Dale instead of Steward. I think I meant to put Traffic from Dale instead of King, King of Dale, but I, it works the same thing. It's just like, you know, think of cards that do similar things to a unique card that you want to have done or whatever that you are looking for, but still kind of does a similar thing. You know, it's kind of as Shellen was saying, like, if, if you have, like, R1 ally, just find another, like, two-cost, two-willpower spirit ally, and it'll kind of, like, fill it and be okay. Yeah, and then last year what I did that worked really well for me was that I sleeved all of my player card decks just in the same sleeves. Like, I had some Crimson Dragon Shields that I just put every single deck that I brought in those same sleeves last year. And I had a couple decks that were all running Spirit um, and maybe needed Test of Wills and I didn't have enough. I would just go cannibalize them from one of my other decks and pop them in. So that's certainly an option as well. If you If you have three Spirit decks that are all running Unexpected Courage, just try to keep you know, a, a mental note on which deck had it last and just go thumbing through it and grab it and pull it into your other deck when you're setting up, you know, four-player games, which is mostly what I played. I know some people play two-player games and stuff at the con too, but I did almost always four last year. They take a long time to set up, you know, between the encounter decks and everybody getting ready and stuff. So you have plenty of time uh, to to do a little swapping. Even if you're not using the same sleeves, you have more than enough time to to dig something out and plug it into a deck no problem yeah and we have like all day to play too so no one's gonna yep. care you know like you know it's like a difference in a like tournament and this it's like a tournament you might have someone being like hey we need to start we have like an hour to finish our round yep. but there's no round time limit so if your game takes like four hours in like framsburg or something like that <laughs> or withered heath or whatever but it's, it's like whatever it's just keep playing it's not a big deal just keep playing there's no like we need 10 minutes or we have 10 minutes for our round as we have to stop after that. So it's like, you know, unlike a tournament where it's like, you really got to start picking up pace to try to finish your round. But in this, it's not an issue. So if it takes extra time, it doesn't matter, you know, and no one's going to care. And like we're saying, it's, it's pretty chill. No one's going to care. And speaking of not caring, how can you avoid some common issues at the table? We've kind of brought up the idea of like choosing decks that have less common heroes or having heroes that can swap out or having a sideboard or choosing less common decks. You know, in this scenario, like we're going to this con, I bet we'll see a lot of the decks that match those four trade starter decks because those are, for new players, they're not going to have as much stuff so we'll probably see, plus due to nine, we'll probably see them have a lot of those five decks. So if you're a more experienced player, I mean, I guess if maybe you're like a, like a huge dwarf stand and it's part of your brand, you have to bring it, but maybe consider, hey, the chances of me being able to play like a Sylvan this time might not be too high because we might see a lot of new players trying to play it. So, or they might need like Stuart or Elrond exactly. Vilia because they just have as much stuff. So maybe just try to bring some stuff that's not quite as common. My other one that is kind of funny, that's kind of funny, unless it's just play two-player games. Obviously with two players versus four players, you have way less chance of having conflicts for stuff. 
the games also go away quicker. So sometimes you, you might be in a quest that I know is going to be long. So I'm just going to play uh, two player just so you don't take like four hours. You know, so you're not stuck in that famous four hour with the heat game that's still playing. So that could help you free up time. It could help your hero or uniqueness conflicts just because of the nature. You know, there's going to be less people to conf- have conflicts with. And, you know, sometimes it's okay to not always play four-player games. Sometimes it's nice to sometimes just have a two-player game because it's real quick. I did that with Shellen last year. And sometimes it's just nice to just have a, a quick game sometimes, too. Absolutely, yeah. I played something like 18, 19 games at the con last year. And by the time I hit about to 11 o'clock on Sunday, I just didn't really want to play anymore. My brain was toast. Uh, and a lot of that is just the mental overhead of playing four-player games and trying to trying to coordinate with people and all these sorts of things. So yeah, sometimes it is nice just to do a a shorter one. Sometimes maybe you got somewhere you need to be later too, and you've only got 45 minutes, so you can sneak in a quick two-player game. So those are great times to use those. I know uh, one of my decks last year was like a terrible con deck. You know, I, I needed Steward and I needed the One Ring. Like I absolutely had to have both of those or the deck just did not function. Uh, and two of the, I played it three times, so I did get it into a four-player game, but the other two times were a two-player game, and then kind of what I was talking about earlier is kind of, and then also my last point here is just say, I really want to play this deck. You know what I mean? I am putting this on the table. I'm pulling out my, last year for me, it was a Sylvan Eagle deck that, you know, was sniping with Haldir, so he needed the one ring. And it's like, I'm playing this deck this game. Like, I'm calling dibs. I need Steward. I need the one ring. Can you all please choose a deck around what I'm playing? And it worked great. It was very fun. Um, so I think that's the other option, like we talked about. Just just ask, say, hey guys, can I please play this deck? Here are my uniques that I absolutely need. Uh, and we'll make it work easily around around that need, either through proxying ourselves, playing a different deck, all these sorts of things. So I guess kind of the addition to that is be on the lookout for, for other folks. You know, if somebody's asking specifically if they can play a deck, you know, say, yeah, give them a chance. Let's, let's see how it works. Unless they say they want to play mono lore with Stuart of Gondor. <laughs> or Chad getting dragged all over the place here. It was Chris's deck. We'll, we'll, we'll throw you out there, Chad. It was, you were playing, you were net decking C-Stan's deck. So it wasn't entirely your fault. Yeah. Obviously it's not as good of a pilot because it didn't well, work. Sure. Who is? But it was never going to work anyway because it was like an epic multiplayer game. We got annihilated, so it it didn't really matter at all. To go back to Sheldon's point a little bit here, yeah, especially if you're, especially if you're a new player and you have a lot of cards, don't be afraid to be like, "Hey, I want to play X." It's not gonna be a big deal. I say it so many times because it's true. It's not a big deal. It's a very chill environment. It'll be okay. Oh, and I got one other kind of thing that we we don't have on the bullet point here, but I don't see somewhere else too. And this would be a good spot for it. Ask ask if you can play other people's decks too. Um, did you did you play anybody else's decks or pass off any of your decks at previous cons? Um, I don't think so. I don't think I've ever played someone else's deck. Or actually, the one time I did it was uh, for Marvel. I played Autumn's deck. That's the only so yeah, that's the only time I've ever done it is not Lord of the Rings the card game. That's awesome. But that's a that's something we do at the con pretty regularly too. I I played 
maybe three games last year with somebody else's deck. And I, that, that same Sylvan deck I talked around, I ta- I passed out to like five different people over the course of the con last year. So, um, do that too, especially if you're like Bardley says, we keep talking about, you know, if you, if you're one of these folks that's showing up, you know, you've got one or two really solid decks with your collection that you feel like you can build, ask somebody else, you know, if they've got other decks that you can play. Uh, Cause I'm sure that pretty much everybody <laughs> would love, like if somebody asked me if they could play one of my decks, I would instantly, that, that's like the happiest I think I could possibly be with, with my deck building. Like, yes, take this steaming pile of garbage and go try to win with it. Like go nuts. Um, so that's also an option for you as well. Uh, if you're, if you're playing the same Sylvan or Dwarf deck all weekend, ask to borrow somebody else's for a game. Yes. If someone asked me for Turd Burger deck, would I be able to survive to the end of the question? I don't know. <laughs> so our, our next group of stuff is going to be a lot more specific for this con. So before we do that, let's quick take a short break here. And then when we come back, we'll do it. We'll do them. This episode is brought to you by West Road Travel Agency. We all know the stresses of traveling, from buying your tickets, to booking a hotel, to finding the best places to eat. Let the agents at West Road Travel Agency handle all that mess so you can ease the cost of travel and vacation with peace of mind. Learn why customers have called them the best travel agency this side of the Misty Mountains and claim a 20% discount today of your booking with the code TARDY at checkout. Again, that's code TARDY at checkout to get 20% off your booking today. West Road Travel Agency, we remove the bad effects of traveling. Alright, so let's talk about some specific encounter cards that you're going to need some solutions for. So we're not going to have all the answers, but we'll try to give you some advice. So the first two are kind, kind of go hand in hand. So let's go over them. Orc Vanguard enemy and master's malice treachery and i i guess the um the look orc war camp the location too so the thing you need to know is they really hate on having multi-sphere decks and specifically having not having mono tactics decks you can kind of get it with the other ones but these are probably the number one things people are talking about for the heirs of numenor and against the shadow cycle so everybody's suggesting bring at least one deck that's monosphere, only neutral cards and one sphere, because these cards will really punish you for having a whole bunch of different characters that play with different spheres. Yeah, and it's a lot of quests too. You know, that that encounter set is in I think three, uh maybe four quests in the cycle uh that you're gonna be running into. So it's not something that you can just get around by not playing those quests. You know, I joked, or did not joked, I did it. Last year, I didn't bring a couple quests because I was like, I know I don't want to play Ghosts of Framsburg. So I didn't have to bring tech for it because I didn't bring the quest. And I just said, no, I'm not doing it. It's a lot tougher to say, no, I'm not going to play the Against the Shadow cycle. Um, it, so yeah, that that monosphere, I think, is just very important. I think I'm with you. I don't typically like to build monosphere decks, but I would recommend that if you can, you build at least one. Um, just because that's going to be the easiest counter to these. Obviously, you have the other counters of very specific niche player cards you can use. Um, you know, 
test of will can be used, but there's a lot of other nasty treacheries. Uh, you can blank that enemy or pull it out of the staging area and have Baragon defend it, these sorts of things. But the, the easiest, simplest way is just to have a Monosphere deck. Right, because you don't know if you can have the solution at the time. So it's exactly. better to just bring bring one Monosphere deck, which I think is yep. everyone's recommendation, because there's it's just in so many quests, and they're really annoying, and they can absolutely blow up your board. So just make sure at least you've got one. Another card is a local trouble. This is just mostly like condition attachments because there's a few more. Like I think a need of rest is another one. The speed metal roadie guy. He's he stinks too, but you're gonna want to have some sort of way to deal with some of the condition attached in the game. Either by removing them or kind of playing around them. So if they land on a hero, you can kind of be like well, I, I don't need the hero to either be able to exhaust or I can just keep healing them, so it's... You can kind of just get around it. Or, you know, obviously the best is to, like, discard it with something like Power of Orthink or, you know, some other apps we'll bring up later, so... We're going to talk about that later, so I, I'm going to bring up the list later, but... But just be aware, like, every cycle there's some nasty condition attachments that the encounter deck is going to stick on your heroes and stuff. Yeah, definitely. And we we don't have a ton of quests in these two cycles that put a crazy amount of damage pressure on you, but Druidan Forest, especially at higher player counts, is like the absolute top tier direct damage quest in the game. You know what I mean? Like there, you can have thirty archery in the first round. No exaggeration. Like, that is something that could very easily happen to you after staging in the first round in a four-player game. Um, So I think if you have some decks that you can either sideboard in or plan around if you're hoping to play that quest at the con, having some sort of answer for this. uh, You know, all these Sylvan folks out there with the Sylvan trackers, those are amazing in this quest. If you have a deck that can get Elrond into it somehow and want to bring Elrond just just for his bonus healing. Like, forget, you don't need to build a Vilya deck around him just for his extra healing ability. Those sorts of things are, are great. But that's that's one very specific quest that I think, without tech, is just going to be almost impossible in a four-player pickup game situation, uh, unless you're pretty lucky. Yeah, I think my solution to Druid and Force is called Don't Play It. I've never enjoyed yeah, playing no, it. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. I've played it a bunch of times. I hate the Prowl keyword. I hate it so much. It steals all your resources. It's like I have no money to pay for cards because I keep stealing it. But if I don't have some money, then I get punished for having no money left over. And it's just like, I just I just hate that one. I just don't enjoy it. So I'll probably just not play it. But as you said, if you plan on playing it, be ready for... Losing resources, or have a lot of ways to quickly generate resources, and prepare to be hit by archery. That's yeah. That's basically our recommendation. But yeah, that quest is pretty infamous, I would say. But a little less infamous, but also not exactly everybody's favorite cup of tea is Blood of Gondor. There's a few bad cards in this one. I believe this has Orc Ambusher, which is an enemy that discards your allies. So you maybe don't 
want to have just like one really powerful key ally and no other ones, you know, you probably want to have at least one other one that you can discard in case it comes up. Because it's like, yeah, you don't want to lose like Jubayer to Ambrosia. You want to lose like Imladra Stargazer. So my recommendation is to be kind of ready with other uh, cheaper allies. And then the other thing is the hidden cards mechanic. Shell and do you want to explain that to people? Yeah, and that th- this will kind of tie in almost nicely into all of our next couple points here. Is that they Blood of Gondor is going to be notorious for this. That you have hidden cards that y- you can either choose to get dealt to you sometimes, or you have to reveal the ones that are in front of you. But they're basically just face down encounter cards, and if they're an enemy when they get turned up, that enemy is now your problem to deal with. So there are a lot of ways in both of these cycles for you to have to deal with more enemies than you thought you were going to have to deal with. Um, and, and that's really where these hidden cards come into play. So much of mathing out your progress questing is is keeping however many defenses up you think you need. And there are just a lot of ways in these cycles for there to be more attacks than you thought you were going to have to deal with one way or another. So having you know, some of those readying on your defender more than you normally would like to do, or having just these chumps or cheap ally defenders like Defender of Ramos and these sorts of things are really huge for both heirs and against or and ringmaker uh, for this specific problem. Because I, I can't say how many times I've run into the like, oh, crap, here's an undefended attack uh, because, you know, I got another shadow card that was terrible or I got... Uh, another hidden card or a time counter did something dumb. So a lot of different ways for, for the encounter deck to put more attack pressure on you than a lot of cycles do. Yes, my specific recommendation for hidden cards is if you have a deck that's like average to above average to very strong for combat, just flip the card every single turn. Yeah, don't build them up. Time. I agree. Because what happens is if you build up like five hidden cards and you have to flip them out once, that could be like three enemies at once, and then you're like, oh no, this is really bad. If you just flip them every single turn, and you get one every single, an enemy every single turn, you and the rest of the table can kind of deal with it. And a lot of times it's nothing. So a lot of times you'd rather just flip them and know, as opposed to having like, flipping ten hidden cards, and then the game is over because you can't deal with everything. So my recommendation is... Flip the hidden cards every single turn if you can. The other recommendation, much like your Druidan one. Yeah, don't play it. Yeah, especially if you haven't played this cycle yet, you're going through some of the repackaged content and stuff. This is truly one of those quests that just doesn't scale super well at four players. Like, the hidden mechanic can break to a point where you just have an encounter deck where you're just revealing surging treacheries indefinitely because that's all that's left in the deck. Uh, so th- this might be one of those that when you're getting to the end of the day on Friday and it's that session for these quests, like maybe choose one of the other quests to play instead of this one if you can help it. It would be a decent recommendation as well. Yeah, if you're not bringing a strong combat deck for Blood of Gondor, don't... Or play it in two-player. Don't player. play it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is my recommendation. Yeah, or play two-player or like solo because, yeah, you have a better chance. But yeah, if you can try to play this four-player and be like, I brought this Hobbit deck or Trixie deck, you could have a bad time. Because like, 
you know, like all these enemies are gonna have low engagement and just engage you and you're not gonna get triggers and you're just gonna get rolled. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've kind of talked a lot about against the shadows, so let's move on to some ringmakers. Actually, wait, let's go back here. I forgot about one. The shadow trains, the infamous shadow trains. Yep. For Amodin is the one I'm think really thinking about. But there are a lot of deal additional shadow shadow effects to in this cycle for a lot of enemies, and man, that can be really bad. Because there's like one enemy who starts with he starts with one attack strength, and then he gets extra attack every time he gets dealt a shadow card, and you keep getting more shadow cards, and next thing you know, he's got like eight attack strength, and he's just killing a hero. So the way to avoid this is, of course, shadow cancellation. I know that a lot of people in the meta have dropped it, but I think you might want to consider bringing it, whether it's something like Jabai, who can discard it, Hasty Stroke, or like Cerner than Steel, or Gandalf Staff. Anything like get rid of shadows. Yeah, yep, I think... I think you almost have to have some shadow tech in a four player game at the very least, just because it can just come at the most inopportune time. And, and we were talking about it pre-show, like, what did you say? You had eight shadows on a guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the other day yeah, it was crazy. Playing. Like I that- was like, what the heck? He kept getting them. It was crazy. He kept just getting like more and more and more. It can happen. It can happen. So just being able to stop that before it drags you under is important. Yeah. Cause I did it with uh, three trials too with, uh, Ringmaker, and there's like one. It's like if it's a guardian, gets two more additional shadows. And I was like, nope, just take the stroke. Yep, don't want any more. Because like you know, you never know what those are going to be. They could be like additional attack, or whatever, and kill you. So it's just like at least maybe run some, at least have them in your sideboard. But I want to talk about a couple of things for Ringmaker here. I believe he's called the Dunlin Berserker. I have it written here as shirtless guy. I guess he's. They're all like all short, shirtless. So this guy's like rushing forward, shirtless mm-hmm. guy. Anyway, his shadow is makes an additional attack. So you do need to be aware of this when you're defending that you may look at the board and think you've got two defenders against two enemies. And then if he's still in the deck, you could be taking three, three attacks. So I mean, he doesn't hit you that hard, but. But the additional attack shadows are the ones that absolutely can wreck you. You get a couple of those, and next thing you know, you have all these damaged heroes. You're losing heroes, and then the game goes pear-shaped really quickly on you. Another one specifically to bring up is a guy who gets X attack strength equal to the amount of cards in your hand. So if you have like a hand of like eight cards, you know I think he's what one attack, but then he hits you for like nine, and next thing you know, you're losing like Dane. Because this guy is suddenly just crushing you, so yeah, you can just play a deck where you just don't have a lot of cards in your hand, or play some sort of shadow cancellation. So that's kind of a way to handle an enemy like this. But I think, Sheldon, you want to talk some more about some of these other enemies in this cycle about drawing cards to your hand. Yeah, the Dunland enemies in particular in the Ringmaker cycle, are that's kind of their main mechanic, is either when you draw a card, something terrible happens, or based on the number of cards in your hand, something terrible happens. So be aware of that one and, and plan accordingly. You know, there are enemies that make an attack against you if they're engaged with you and you draw a card. So that happens at the beginning of every round in the refresh phase. That card draws forced, so you take that attack. But... You got to be planning ahead for those quests to not rely on a deck that's going to need 
a lot more card draw during the round because you're going to keep getting attacked by that guy every single time. And then there are other enemies that get plus attack or threat based on how many cards are in your hand, or maybe every time you draw a card, they get a token on them, which powers them up even more to be more attack and more threat. So there's a lot of tech in that would be what Fords of Eisen, Dunland Trap, and Antlered Crown are the three big ones that revolve around that mechanic. So be on the lookout for that one as well. There are ways to mitigate it, but it's mostly just like board state awareness and like knowing when you can and can't get away with certain things in those quests. Yes, so I think the biggest thing is just don't play a deck that sits with a lot of cards in hand. So like dwarves, which is one where you can get stuck with a lot of cards in hands because you're drawing so many cards. So it's maybe not a good choice because you just have so many cards. I think one of the best things to do is just kind of have a deck where you can play like cheap allies one or two every turn because eventually you'll just work your hand down to having like only like two or three cards. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, if you've got like three cards in your hand, it's like, oh, he's hitting me four, but it's like, ah, oh, that's okay. It's a bit more manageable. The problem is when he's hitting you for like plus eight because mm. then he's just wiping out a hero in, in one attack. So. so yeah, just kind of be aware that you need to be getting cards out of your hand. So you want to play cards that can get stuff into your discard, maybe like Spirit A1 or Protector of Lorien would be like some options to get stuff out of your hand. The other big mechanic in Ringmaker that I think only needs to be touched on a little bit would be the time counters. Uh, the biggest thing for those is probably just remembering that you need to take one off every time, but hopefully in a four-player game somebody remembers. <laughs> I'm, ter- I'm terrible at remembering that, but... They kind of necessitate you to move a little bit faster. There's not as much time for turtling in games. But at least from my personal experiences, I find that in three or four player games, you're really not doing that as much anyway. Like they tend to take fewer rounds than a solo game does, even if they take longer time in terms of minutes. Uh, But they are something to be aware of. Maybe don't bring an Ent deck that you're spending a bunch of turns waiting for your allies to ready when you got these time tokens ticking away at you there. Uh, other than that, I don't think they bear too much in a multiplayer setting, other than just just remember to take the time counters off when you're supposed to there in the refresh phase. Right, and there are cards that will remove more than what you think. Yeah. There are cards, you know, there's supposed to be one every round, but there will be cards that will remove extra ones per round. Enemies, just you got to kind of just kill them. But locations... You know, you can nuke them in the staging area sometimes, play like Northern Tracker Asphalt, so you can kind of manage some of the time. Because in like a four-player game, you might just get a ton of time locations, and you can only travel the one at a time. But if you have a bunch of Northern Trackers, maybe you can just get rid of, rid of them all before they trigger. So that's a strategy you could use to work against time. But we haven't talked a lot about specific cards for tech that we're going to be bringing here. So let's get right into that. Number one, I have a list of threat reduction. There's a lot of quests that raise your threat. Tharbad is the, probably the most famous, infamous one because it's super nullier. Need an eel because you're stuck in there for like 800 years. I just did, I think, Morgul Veil and my threat went up a bunch. So I'm going to bring threat reduction. Usually Elrond's Council. Maybe some Gandalf. I'll remember that Arkansas has an ability. 
And I think I'm going to bring some Galadrim's Greetings in a sideboard. So yeah, bring some threat reduction. I know that's a kind of generic advice, but... Yeah, and some targeted threat reduction that either helps the whole table or can help a specific other person is is nice to have in these four-player games as well. Uh, we talked a lot about tactics being something that's, you know, we're probably bringing anyway to combat some things. Secret Vigil is amazing. Uh, there are are quite a few high printed threat enemies throughout all these cycles, and it reduces everybody's threat. So that's a great one to bring. And then Gladrum's Greeting, if you can afford it in your spirit deck to, you know, get two for the whole table or six for the person that just is close to threading out. Because even if you're not running a high threat deck, cons are kind of a time where people can bring these big beefy power decks with three strong heroes because they're going to get to play four player with it. So being able to help that deck out a little bit is, is nice as well. So so consider packing threat reduction for your deck, but that also might benefit the whole table too. Yep, yeah, last year we got stuck in a game where I was really sh- struggling with threat reduction. That's why I'm bringing up the Arkenstone. Because yep. we all forgot that Arkenstone had an ability, and then I went to the bathroom, and then when you guys, or when I came back, you guys all had remembered, and I had that in play for so long, but nobody had remembered. So just kind of maybe remember, <laughs> maybe just remember what your cards do this time. You That's already touched on condition removal there. Um earlier for a couple of these quests there there are quite a few decent options for that that you know we've all talked about what but what's your favorite one that you're going to be bringing for sure power of or thing easiest to Definitely. play zero cost i know it has doom 2 race to start for everybody but it removes one for everybody it's just so easy to play probably two of yeah yeah i think minor is actually halfway okay in these cycles this isn't like uh, Saga Quest or Angmar where you're getting flooded with a lot of condition attachments. And most of them are like the slow drip sort where like you were talking about with local trouble, it raises your threat by one every time you do something or in need of rest, you take one damage every round. They're the type of quests that are condition attachments that they have to be gotten rid of, but they're not quite as time sensitive. So if you got the smaller card pool or don't want to doomed to everybody... The, the cards like Miner of the Iron Hills or your uh, Ally Elrons or Bulwark of the West are quite good as well, since they're not as like immediate, I have to remove it during the same encounter phase that it got attached to me type trick or condition attachments. Right, yeah, they're not basically blanking a hero yep. like some of these other ones where you're like, as soon as it hits the table, it's got to be gone. These ones, they're bad, but they're not like... ASAP bad, like some of these other treacheries. Mm-hmm. And they feel much more sideboardy to me in these cycles, too. These aren't something that you need to have in your deck every single quest you're going to play, but maybe thumb through that encounter deck when you sit down if you're not super familiar with it and just see if you need to pack pack them into that particular quest. Right, and I kind of think it will depend on the player size you play. I think if you play two-player, the odds of you seeing some of them are much lower, but if you're playing four-player... You probably have to put them in. But if you're playing two player, you know, maybe you don't need to put them in. But it kind of just depends on what you're playing. So that's some kind of generic advice. Let's talk about some specific stuff for these cycles and some stuff that we're going to bring. So, number one, the list we've talked about already bring monosphere decks. You just don't want to deal with those cards against the shadow that hate against monosphere decks. 
or non-monosphere decks, I think that's the number one piece of tech to recommend. As I've said many times, just have at least one monosphere deck. And that is my suggestion. Yep, I echo that. And I think maybe take a look into not bringing a mono tactics deck if you can think about it too. Because uh, I think for a future point here, a lot of people are going to be looking at building mono tactics for this cycle. Um, or if you are going to bring a mono tactics, maybe do one that's not run around Theoden and Eowyn. Maybe try to bring one that you think, oh, if, if somebody else is running this mono, a mono tactics deck, I can do this one, knowing that each of my heroes is going to get boosted willpower from their Theoden. Uh, it might be a good way to go, because I think <laughs> you, this is one just because that is such a specific tech that's needed where we might run into that uniqueness conflict of like, I brought my Hergon Theoden Eowyn deck. It's great. And what did you bring for the for this tech? It's like, oh, I, I brought an Imrahil Theoden Eowyn deck. And like, oh, well, I can, you know, and then the sideboard becomes problematic. So so think about that. Maybe look into building a different monosphere, even though tactics, or even though it might get hurt a little worse than tactics would do the Vanguard. Uh, or look at bringing a, a less popular version of the tactics deck. Right, you can bring a lot of non-unique tactics allies that are good for this cycle. We'll get to that later. But there's a lot of ones that are good that aren't unique so and really important. So you might be playing a tactics deck and not have your heroes be the most important part. But we'll save that for like a couple of points mm-hmm. from now to explain why. And so, yeah, Shalyn, can you just take us to the next point here? So, yeah, it's that avoiding that card draw in those couple quests in um, the Ringmaker cycle that that really hurt it. And there are some specific ways you can build for it. Uh, the, the ones that come to my mind most that I'm going to be utilizing in some of mine is cards that put allies into play. So, I mean, if you've got, you know, an... Prince Imrahil hero type thing that's just bringing people from your deck into play. That's great. You're cheating it. Uh, same with a very good tail or Vilya or something like that where you're getting a card that's from your deck and just putting it immediately onto the table. Also, there are some ways to kind of get card draw in quotes where you're not actually drawing the card. So Wizard Pipe doing some swapping, Expert Treasure Hunter actually discards the card first and then adds it to your hand. So Gandalf decks are quite good for this uh, sort of thing. Same with Dwarf decks, King Under the Mountain. Um, You're you're discarding cards and then putting them in your hand, so it's not actually draw. So those are good options as well, because you can maybe get away with top decking, or maybe use Aerostore so you draw them all at the same time. Yeah, uh, so and then you, you discard them all. Once still, because you're dropping. Yeah, uh, you're, so you're still only getting the one draw per round, but getting a lot of cards out of it. So clever ways around trying to get cards into play or into your hand that don't specifically require you to draw them. Exactly, because as you've mentioned, the more you draw on some of these quests, especially if you're not doing it in one big chunk, you're going to be in trouble. Because there's that one enemy that just gets plus one every time you draw a card but if you draw a card at the beginning of the phase use bearer then use like darren you know he adds three and then if there's two of them it's six so that's really not a great strategy so you know maybe just draw them all in one chunk like air store 
then it only happens once. Anyway, so let's go to the one I just teased here. You need some cards to handle battle and siege questing. If you're not familiar with this and you're new, it's instead of questing with your willpower, you quest with your attack or your defense. Battle, you quest with your attack. Siege, you quest with your defense. So you've got to have some cards to do this. Because obviously, if you don't have these type of cards, you're just never going to make any progress. I mentioned the tactics cards earlier, and the, the eagle cards are really good, like Wing Guardian and Vassal of the Windlord. They cost two and one. They have four defense. One. They have four defense, three attack strength. You know, Defender of the Ramas is the same, two cost, four defense. And, you know, our most favorite guys, too, Shellen, are two attack, two cost. Strength allies, those are good. Even some heroes you might not normally consider could be good. Like Gimli, he's not very common, but if you take some archery damage, he gets plus one attack strength. So that helps a battle quest. So I'm a big fan of Boromir. I think he's really good with his three and two, and then you can help you attack and defend. But the point is you just kind of need some cards to be able to do battle and siege questing, so you're, if you have a deck that just purely focuses on willpower, it might struggle. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of why we're, we've mentioned a few times that people are going to be looking to mono tactics. So, but all those allies you mentioned are non-unique, right? So, so pack those for sure. Also, maybe look into things like Overhill, Underhill Gandalf, uh, if your deck can handle the threat. Um, or Williador, uh, one of our favorites, neutral yep. card that has you know one of our favorites, a great con card in general, right? But um, can battle quest for three or siege quest for two there for you for just one cost if you're really needing the willpower for one round only type things. So each sphere does have some options. Dwarven Cellsword is another one that's like expensive if you keep it on the board forever, but if you're just needing to make a push. Because a couple of these quests are just requiring you to make one big push. Like Druidan has only one quest card that's telling you you need to siege. Uh, similarly with, you know, into Athelion, um, you, you can swap back and forth between the two. You don't need them on the table all the time. So there are options in neutral and other spheres if you're wanting to build a, a non-mono tactics. But, but if you are going tactics, definitely bring those cheap eagles and Defender of Ramos with you to, to help push through those couple quests. Yeah, and so we've kind of mentioned about being ready for a lot of combat. What makes these quests so difficult is because you're using your characters that are mostly for combat for questing, and now you can't use them for combat, so it's it's tricky. Because if you aren't that experienced, you're at this weird thing where you're you're using your best attackers and defenders to quest, and now you can't use them to attack and defend, and so now you're kind of like you're in this kind of bad spot. So, you know, you should probably need even more combat options than yep. you would normally have because you're going to be splitting up your fighting force, which normally you don't because you have all of your willpower allies and then you have all of your attacking allies and defending allies. But you split off to two groups, but now it's the same group is doing the same thing. So, so if you're one of those mono leadership players... You know, maybe if you're trying to think and pick your brain as to what sort of monosphere deck to pack and build, mono leadership that can run strength of arms is great. 
to help out those tactics players that are questing with all of their uh, cheap allies that they want for combat also. So that that's a way that you can maybe help contribute to the quest, even if you don't have a ton of attack that you contribute to the questing yourself. You can help bolster the other players at the table for you. Yep, always good to rely on the other players. That's one of the nice things about the conventions. There's always other people to help your deck out in ways that you might have not expected or foreseen. Speaking of helping out people in ways you might have not foreseen. So let's talk about something that actually was not out when these cycles were invented, but are actually some pretty good tech against some of these quests, and that is side quests. Mm -hmm. There's a few quests in this group where they're going to be really good. I can think of Morgul Vale where it's good because a lot of times you're not placing progress on the main quest and you just have to kill the enemy or you just need like one or something. So you're kind of spending all this other time questing into nothing. So you might as well have the side quest to get some sort of benefit. Siege of Care Andros is another one where it starts you with Siege, and then you have these three battleground locations to start, and you want to try to explore them, because if you can, you can remove some of the stages of the quest, but they can take damage and go away. So Siege questing is pretty hard, but if you play a side quest, you can have regular questing and get through them yep. more easily to start the game. I had this just happen to me. I was telling this shelling off the air. Peril and Pelagir, you can't advance until you have this scroll objective specific for this quest and sometimes you may have the scroll and the enemy may take it unexpectedly and now you can't advance so you know you could have like a side quest could be useful on a turn where you have all the progress but you don't have the scroll three trials is another one where some of the trials don't care about making progress they just are about exploring a specific location or killing a certain enemy so side quests could be useful in those quests too yeah, I think that Siege of Carandros point is huge because it's not just that one. I mean, into Athelion and Truidan Forest and, uh, you know, basically all of the first four quests in that cycle flip-flop what you're questing with all the time. So just having the ability to have a side quest on the board where you're like, we have so much combat to deal with, but we have to clear an active location to get out of here. Let's throw down double back. We don't even need the threat reduction so bad, but we just need to be able to quest with our willpower to keep our attackers ready for combat this round and not have our threat jump up. It's just so huge in this cycle. So so all those good side quests, you know, gather information is probably the 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 gold standard in four player because when when you defeat it, every player gets to go through their deck and look for a card. So I mean if you can find that one, that's amazing for for early rounds. But any of those double back, reducing five threat, scout ahead, letting you add a terrible card, maybe one of those Master's Malice or Orc Vanguards we talked about to the victory display, and then plan your combat phase with shadows and your next reveal so you're not getting a huge shadow train or a whole bunch of enemies can can really be big for a lot of these quests. Yep. Also would give out a, a shout out to Keep Watch, reduces the enemy's attack, that's always good. A couple more niche ones. Mm -hmm. Send for aid helps you get a free ally. Prepare for battle helps you draw some more cards. I don't see a ton of play of those, but if you're playing mono leadership, I think those are pretty good options. You know, I wouldn't recommend playing them in Ringmaker too much because of time on the quest cards. 
and once you remove all the time, bad things happen. And time always comes off. So side quest probably not going to be very good for the ringmaker cycle, other than maybe like three trials. But against the shadow, I think you can get some good use out of side quests. Yeah. Yep. Bring the side quests because they will they will definitely be be used. So yeah, Shellen, are you going to be bringing any four player specific stuff for the con? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So um, I think one that you should consider for your sideboard, regardless of what your deck is doing is keen as lances. Um, people love to run victory display decks, but don't get to play it that often until you get to these four player type games. And so, you know, once they start loading up that victory display with locations and enemies that don't have victory, your keen as lances become real cheap and kind of, kind of become push button, you know, resources or threat or card draw, depending on what you need. But even in four player, if nobody's running victory display stuff, like you get to a point where somebody just really needs more cards or really needs the threat reduction and they're just going to pay the full five cost for it anyway. Uh, so you can start loading up the victory display with the, just the key of lances themselves to reduce it. So it's a, it's a card you should always consider on your sideboard. It's neutral. So any deck can play it. Um, that's one I will bring guaranteed. Are you going to bring any more of the like common ones like campfire tales? Yes, yeah. So I have one specific deck uh, that runs Campfire Tales. It runs Man the Walls. It uh, I'll have Williador who can hop around to a lot of different decks. So a lot of these very specific ones aren't even just in a sideboard. They're kind of built into one of my decks. Uh, but if the situation calls for it, I can kind of cannibalize it from that deck and bring it to another one as well. But yes, I will be bringing at least those four very specific multiplayer cards. So uh, for, for those that aren't super aware, Campfire Tales is a one-cost leadership card that lets everybody draw a card. Man the Walls reduces the cost by one for the first ally everybody plays in the planning phase at the expense of those allies not being able to quest. And then we talked about Willidor a little bit earlier. He's just a, a one-cost ranged Sentinel ally. So great to have on hand in a deck for... Just those emergency situations. You know, we got overwhelmed with enemies last round. I can spend one to put a three attack ranged on the table, no matter what my deck is to help deal with it sort of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure I have any really specific four-player stuff. Like I said, I'm going to bring Gladrum's Greeting or Power of Orthanc, but I don't know if those are like specifically four-player cards. Those are kind of more generally Mm -hmm. useful multiplayer cards as opposed to four-player specific. And then... Did you talk about your special deck that's kind of like this? If you want to talk about it now or save it for later? Yeah, so... Yeah, I I can kind of save it for later mostly, but the one that I was referring to, it, it it's, I, it's a con-specific deck. I only play it at these sorts of things. It's a Bond of Friendship deck that is just chock-full of things that help the table. You know, it's my one that has Secret Vigil and Galadrim's Greeting and Campfire Tales and a bunch of side quests. Uh, and all these sorts of things. So it almost in and of itself is a huge sideboard. <laughs> um, so I have almost all the tech cards just built into it anyway. So if I'm running one of my other decks, I know exactly where I can find Secret Vigil. Oh, it's over in my Bond of Friendship deck. I'll go grab those copies of it out of there. Yeah, so I want to ask you too, we've talked a little bit about sideboard stuff here. I want to ask, are you going to try to bring anything for achievement hunting specifically? 
Or are you just going to do the paper slip thing? It's kind of hard because we don't know what they're going to be. Yeah. So I'm going to paper slip for sure. And then I'm kind of playing the uh, guessing game on a couple achievements. There's almost always some sort of um, location related one. So I'm going to bring a couple of those weird location manipulation cards that don't get used super often. Just in case there's a quest that makes me makes us pull a lot more out of the deck to start or do something weird with it. So just good four player location tech anyway, but will be more of a sideboard for me. But then I have a real big sneaking suspicion. You've already mentioned him a couple times on the show so far. Nalir is just such an infamous, infamous ally, right? He he raises your threat by the number of players in the game and then you pass him. He's only in two quests. He's in Trouble and Tharbad, which is, I, I think it's a pretty fun quest uh, and a relatively easy one, I think. Uh, but then he's also a Ninin Elf, which everybody hates. Um, I, the, I guarantee that of the you know six or eight, however many achievements they have for those two quests, a ton of them are going to be Nalir related. And I wouldn't be surprised if Nalir's show that they're like asking you to bring Nalir to other quests too. Uh, so I'm going to bring some things like I, I can see them saying, like, you have to use Nalir to kill the Ancient Marsh Dweller, or Nalir has to defend and attack every type thing. So I might, even though I'm not bringing a Dale deck, I might bring some, like, very specific ally attachment things to make a super-powered Nalir, uh, just in case we need to be doing something weird with him over the game. So get him a Squire's Helm and a Valiant Determination, and, you know, all these things to... To make it so he can he can be be beefy Nalir and actually help out instead of ruining our day. Oh yeah, I forgot about Nalir. Yeah, definitely Nalir is gonna have achievements because we know Aaron is in charge and he loves Nalir. So obviously we're gonna get some Nalir related stuff. But yeah, I mean I have no clue. As Sean has mentioned, it's hard to, hard to know. So I don't know what to bring. So I guess my answer is I'm not gonna bring anything specifically and just kind of hope somebody else does. Or, I mean, I typically do a lot of the ones where it'll be like, start with a specific enemy or location in play. And so it's like, I can do those easily enough. The, no big deal. Or, you know, I can just get incredibly lucky and get like the Cardoom one where there's no flipping of Thardir because you just get lucky and you never reveal a sorcery to reveal. Or you never get a sorcery to flip him. And then the last one here is, are you going to be bringing any sideboard heroes? Kind of. You're bringing a lot more decks than me, so. Yeah, kind of. Um, that same uh, Bond of Friendship deck that I was talking about, it ha- I'll bring 12 or 16 heroes that can all kind of be interchangeably used in that one, depending on what other people are playing at the table. But all of my other decks that I'm bringing are pretty combo-y uh, and do kind of rely on the hero lineups. So I will... I'll be like picking and choosing which deck I'm playing based on who I'm playing with. I, I don't have the luxury of like swapping a hero out of them super well uh, because I the heroes are very specific part of the combo. So, uh, so just for the Bond of Friendship deck, will I be bringing sideboard heroes? Okay, I am going to be bringing a handful of tactics heroes for sideboard. I'm going to bring Gimli, Boromir, and Mablong. To swap out, potentially, I'm going to bring a mono tactics deck just because it's like these quests are tough without mono tactics. Yep. So I'm going to bring it, and I think those heroes are pretty good. They're like 
Mablung and Gimli are 2-2-2, Boromir is 1-3-2, and I don't care so much about the willpower, so I think they could be good and useful. And maybe I might bring a certain balding, unique ally for Messenger of the King in case I need him. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but I don't know. Probably not, but maybe I will. Who knows? But yeah, that's it for me. Offhand, just just kind of spitballing, there are some heroes that are really good to just bring as a sideboard if you're thinking about it, like Eleanor. You're probably not using her very often. But you get into that situation where, you know, you have Eowyn in your deck uh, because you, you want willpower or those sorts of things. And somebody else is running Eowyn, like, you know, the other players can pick up the slack of willpower for you. Eleanor's a great four-player hero uh, to consider as a sideboard type hero to bring to a con. Um, is one that I would really recommend if you're running a spirit deck that doesn't need the the questing power since it's getting it from the allies or some other deck can pick up the slack. Would be If I had an AoN deck, I would bring Eleanor for certain to the con. Yeah, that's a good one. I think... You mentioned Elrond in case you play Drudan yep. Force, but he might be too good. He might not really be a sideboard hero. He's probably already in your decks because he's so powerful. <laughs> probably. But I mean, if no one's playing him, but if, you know, no one else is playing him, you could put him in for a lower axis and no one's going to be like, Elrond, no, people are going to be like Elrond sweet because he makes all of your healers a lot better. But he's probably too good for sideboard, but you kind of get the idea. Mm-hmm. Yep. So with all that said, I think that's going to be it for this episode. The other one we're going to tie with this is going to be specifically about the decks we're going to bring. So I hope on this episode you got some good ideas about ways to handle some of the stuff here. Some nice tips and tricks, you know, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start. You know, maybe try that one. That could be a good one. You know, I think you know, hopefully our advice can help you have a good time. I think you'll have a good time even if you don't listen to our advice. And we'll just see everybody on the next episode.